Hey and welcome in film fans, this is the SDFP, the second day film podcast on this Thursday, the 9th of August. It is the smooth, sultry, familiar voice of your host, Evan Dean. I'm back after about a month off, just one of my compadres with me, Brandon Champion. Champ, how you doing today? Oh, hey Dean. It's uh, nice of you to, you know, take a break from your busy schedule and, you know, squeeze in this little podcast we like to call the Second Day Film Podcast. I appreciate it. Hey, like I said, keeping real busy. First pod I've done in about a month. And, you know, busy can mean good and busy can mean bad. A busy good is the bachelor party we had for you just last weekend. Awesome time up north. And then the bad... Uh, right before I went on the bachelor party or to the bachelor party, a water pipe underneath my apartment burst and the place is flooded. So I've had a lot going on, some more enjoyable than others. Well, Evan, I mean, if you really want to have a swimming pool, they probably have apartment complexes where those are provided for you. You don't need to turn your kitchen into, you know, an aquatic center. Yeah. So... So that's been a little bit of a, a preoccupation. Uh, so I haven't seen any of the newest releases, but you have, Champ. So what we're going to do today is we're going to do who's watching what. I'm going to hit on some things I've seen. You're going to hit on some of the big releases recently. It'll kind of be a full-blown who's watching what. But before we get to all that, as always, how to connect with us. There's a whole bunch of ways, Champ. And, and you know, we, we got to keep running them down because... This is important to our podcast. You can like us, interact with us, give us a review on Facebook. Just go ahead and search the Second Day Film Podcast. SoundCloud and iTunes is a good way to uh, hear our podcasts uh, in the various <laughs> episodes. As we've got a little cameo from my dog down here. Uh, so there we go. That's that's an unexpected drop yeah. for there. But yeah, SoundCloud, iTunes, Twitter on the Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, our email address is... Uh, secondayfilm at gmail.com. You can check out our website, secondayfilm.com. So basically any type of social media, uh, that's where we want to hear from you. Uh, Go ahead and give us a rating or a review on iTunes. It's a really helpful way to sort of increase the exposure of the podcast. All right, so we're going to jump right into who's watching what. Uh, Three things from each of us, and we're each going to start with a series, a a TV series, and uh, they both happen to be Netflix original series, and I'm going to kick it off in the series I've been watching because, you know, we're in August, and that means we're in football mode. Uh, so I'm, I'm all about it. You know, preseason games, that's fine. But I, I want to watch some actual, like, entertaining football-related content. So I've started Last Chance U on Netflix. And it's, uh, it's three seasons deep. I've just seen the first season. I just wrapped up the first season. And the quick description from IMDb, it's an intense look inside the world of junior college football chronicling the stories of players and coaches in the classroom and on the field. And that's a really, really generic plot summary. This all takes place, at least the first two seasons, and the one I've watched at East Mississippi Community College. And this is basically this powerhouse community college football program in the middle of nowhere. This is a a place where kids go if they couldn't make the grades to go D1. It's a place where kids go if they went D1 and they've had drug or academic issues and they've dropped out. It's kind of a place that's a feeding tube to some of the best uh, college football programs. LeGarrette Blunt was, uh, was played at East Mississippi Community College. Most recently, um, uh, you had, oh, geez, uh, Kelly for Ole Miss, the quarterback. Uh, he played at East Mississippi Community College. And what I like about this series um, is that there's not a lot of production value to it. 
you know, it's really raw. There's just a whole bunch of cameras following this team all year, all access, practice field, locker rooms, game, you know, in their little apartments they have, um, you know, on campus. It's all, they follow these kids all over. And, you know, when there's that low production value, I think it helps bring out the human element. And that's what makes this a good series and many documentaries for that matter. What I love with documentaries is how simply you see the emotion. They don't have to, the filmmaker doesn't have to do anything. It happens organically. And it's really raw emotion. You learn so much about these players and these coaches by just being a part of their lives for a season. And a fan favorite in the series, the first two seasons, is this academic advisor for the athletes. She's like an early 30s single mom. The players are always just hanging out in their office. I swear there's like a one cameraman always in her office. And, you know, these athletes, while they don't admit it, you can just tell how much like they appreciate and even love her. Um, you know, almost all of these athletes have come from rough backgrounds or they've struggled academically or struggled getting into trouble. And to have just one person care about them, you know, track them down to get them to class because if they don't pass, they don't play. You know, they're so desperately wanting someone to care about them uh, beyond just for their football skills. And I just really like the series. I'm just one season in. Uh, the coach is a totally um, controversial, volatile guy because he's, he's quite frankly says a lot of really inappropriate things. And he's just, he's all about winning. Like they won like, I don't know, it was like 28 games in a row at one point. So you've got a lot of different interesting characters that, um, you know, are kind of the heart of football and big time football. And then you've got characters who are more about just life and the intertwining of that, especially with kids who uh, maybe don't have good family support or maybe have struggled with everything else but football. Uh, it's interesting to see kind of their journey and the obstacles they face and, and how they sometimes even get in their own way to try to get to their goals. Nice. East, East Mississippi Community College, they're the big rival of uh, South Central Louisiana State Mud Dogs, right? <laughs> it's a big rivalry down there in the South. Yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, they played in the Bourbon Bowl. No, no, it's not. But, but no, you know how you get it, though. You get it in Mississippi, in Louisiana, in Alabama, in Arkansas. I mean, football is God. And these community colleges, you know, they're taking these kids who couldn't cut it in, who couldn't academically cut it, and it's good, good football prospects. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you go up and down the line of, you know, college players that played at community college for whatever reason, got in trouble at a big school or whatever, I mean, it's a long, you know, prestigious list. I mean, Cam Newton comes to mind the year before yeah. he went to Auburn. He played at a, a small junior college. So that's the route that some people have to take. How does the show compare to something like Hard Knocks? Is it similar? Yeah, I mean, I think that with Hard Knocks, you've got these athletes who are – um, so privileged and so, um, you know, they've worked hard to get where they are, but they're, they're pros. They've got, they made the big bucks many times, not all of them, but maybe, maybe you could compare it to like the rookie who's just trying to make the team. End of the roster guy. Exactly. Seventh round undra undrafted guy. Exactly. But. Cause this is called last <clears throat> chance. You, this is the last chance for so many of these players. If they don't, if they don't show good on film, don't have a good season and don't pass in the classroom, then they're not going to make it to that D one program. So what's interesting is how they're so desperate and they know this is their last chance yet. They do things that just get in their own way. And that's kind of a human element, right? We know what we want. We want to obtain it. We want to achieve it. But we always, not always, but we so often get in our own way for one way or the other. And you see that with a lot of these players. 
You know, I, it's it's really an interesting look, and you know, an interest, interesting look at kids who, quite frankly, it's football or bust. If they don't get to D one for football, it's their only chance either to go pro or to get an education is through football, and. You know, that's that's reality for a lot of kids in, in maybe poor families that athletes in, in sports is all they got. Awesome. So that's Last Chance You on Netflix. Sounds like something that if you're even remotely interested in football, sure. you'll want to check yeah. out. Uh, my uh, show that I've been watching is another Netflix original series, and it's called Dark. Uh, this this show was created by Baron Bo Odar and Yante Fries. I'm going to go with that. It's probably not right. I don't speak German very well. Um, but the uh, plot summary on IMDb, a family saga with a supernatural twist set in a German town where the disappearance of two young children exposes the relationships among four families. So, you know, you can tell mystery thriller type uh, situation we got going on here. This show, uh, and I don't know if it's just because it's on Netflix, but it has a ton of Stranger Things vibes. I'm getting so much of them while watching this show. Um, I, you know, it, it's not Stranger Things. It's a little bit more dark, <laughs> pun intended. Um, I guess if Stranger Things is PG, this is maybe PG-13 Stranger Things. Um, but it, it's set in this small town where everyone knows each other. There's lots of kids in the cast. Um, there's a lot is unknown throughout the show. I'm about five, six episodes in, and I really have no idea what the hell's going on. <laughs> uh, instead of the lab on the fringes of town, there's a nuclear plant, uh, that has these ominous smoke clouds coming up, hovering mm. over the city. Um, and like I said, you don't really know what's going on. I'm five episodes in and you are in the dark the whole time. Sorry, that's another pun. I, I'll stop now. Um, so... Uh, it's a German show. It's in German, which means you can either watch it in German with subtitles or there's an English dub. Um, I watch it in German and read the subtitles because I find the dub a little bit distracting. I can't handle Agreed. the I can't handle the the mouths not matching what's saying. Um, but if you're willing to deal with the subtitles, which I obviously am, there's a really creepy atmosphere and tone to this whole show. There's always some sort of looming. Uh, something's not quite right. You know something's always wrong, but you don't know quite what it is. There's really uncomfortable music that plays throughout it. There's sort of these loud sync blasts and like strange organ breaking sounds mm. that sort of just come out and happen at random moments. Um, similar to some of the movies we've seen, like Annihilation had that horn blast. Oh, yeah. uh, killing the, of a sacred yeah, deer. Yeah, killing of a sacred deer we went and saw right. had that really unsettling, yep. like screeching music. Um, and what I like about this show is they'll bring that music up in like random moments that don't seem creepy. Like there'll be kids sitting in a classroom taking a science test and then all of a sudden they'll just be like this like strange music and you don't know why they're doing it why they're making this noise um but it it's just there and it really helps to set the creepy mood um you know a kid might there's a lot of cool overhead shots of kids like riding bikes through the woods or you know there's these caves that are involved in the plot that are really creepy and they will do like a slow zoom in into the cave into the darkness um there's, there's a time travel element to the show which really adds a whole nother you know, oh, layer sure. of applesauce to the top of the yeah, <laughs> apple right. pie. Um, it has, a, I'm a sucker for awesome opening credit sequences. <laughs> this, I think that's actually really important in a show where you can do a little, uh, you know, cold open and then have something crazy happen and then jump right into that credit sequence. I really, I really feel like that's a key Stranger part of things. Yeah. A lot of shows do it. Yeah. Um, and this one has a really creepy 
opening sequence that's wonderfully designed and has really haunting song attached to it. You know, I'm really excited to see where this show goes. I can't really talk about it a whole lot without giving spoilers away. Mm -hmm. It's one of those kind of shows. Um, but it's it's definitely worth checking out, especially if you like Stranger Things. It's interesting because I hadn't heard of it until, you know, you mentioned it. But as soon as I Googled it, I recognized the poster for it. You know, flipping through Netflix, I don't know if they're trying to promote this show or if it's just that it's such a distinct poster. You've got like this child in a yellow jacket heading to a cave with these twisting trees above him. And, and, and it says, the question is not where, but when, which alludes to some of the time travel. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I think that, um, I think it's something I, I, I might check out. I mean, it sounds like you like it. I, and I, I think, you know, you and I studied film in, in college and... I, that helped me kind of understand and, and appreciate subtitled film. I, I think when I first was younger and I saw films with subtitles, I, I just wasn't into it. But I, I've seen so many now, you have too, through the, the classes we've taken, that I'm okay with it. It's actually something I think that turns other people off. But you're, But I agree, I'd much rather just have the subtitles than some phony dub that doesn't even look normal right and i you know i told you uh you know that sometimes i even watch movies with subtitles on because you know sometimes it, it kind of helps actually with actually hearing and reading what the script is actually saying and also unrelated i actually just watched three of uh Werner herzog's uh famous uh films per the recommendation of uh one of my uh former colleagues shout out john serba um but uh and that's all in german so sure. all three of these movies were in german so i'm gonna know german by the time i'm done watching yeah. this show but 8.6 out of 10 with over 75,000 uh ratings wow. on imdb and uh 87 on rotten tomatoes so i'm not the only one digging this show so if you're into sort of yeah. creepy crime mysteries definitely check it out all right so next up this is actually something i watched kind of upon your and Sam's unintentional recommendation on the last pod. What do you What do you think, Popcorn? Oh, oh, he's yeah. not here. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. oh. and we do we mention him yet? Uh, yeah. Oh man! Hi, Sam. I'll be with him this weekend. We got another bachelor go. party, there so I'll go. tell every, I'll tell him we said hi. Yeah, you're you're doing podcasts in between being inebriated. The, the few times you've been sober this. I month. sobered up to do the pod. Sorry, yeah. mom. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but but I did this off of your kind of recommendation. And I uh, watched this, and it's a, a film from, I believe it's 2017, yep, and it's titled Wind River. This is Taylor Sheridan, and you talked about Taylor Sheridan, the director, pretty extensively in the last podcast. Uh, and the, the, the stars of this film, the two stars you really need to know about um, are Jeremy Renner, who plays Corey Lambert, and then also Elizabeth Olsen, who plays Jane Banner. And... Just to give you kind of a brief summary of the, the plot here, I'll read the description off IMDb. A veteran hunter, it's played by Renner, helps an FBI agent, played by Olson, uh, investigate the murder of a young woman on a Wyoming Native American reservation. I guess what first caught my eye in this film, Champ, is that it's just it's built pretty well around the landscape. I don't actually know where it was filmed, I'm assuming, in Wyoming, um, but... The so-called, wherever it's filmed, Wyoming Native American Reservation, it's like a barren tundra. And you mentioned overhead shots for dark. They utilized overhead shots a lot in Wind River. It's mostly just, you know, snow-covered fields and dense forests, maybe some surrounding mountains in the area. And it's fitting that the authorities investigating the murder of this girl, this woman, they're relying on a wildlife tracker 
veteran hunter slash wildlife tracker. Renner actually works for the U.S. Wildlife Service. They're relying on him to investigate because in this kind of terrain, you need an animal tracker to investigate this murder. And he's the character at the heart of this film. Let's just say Jeremy Renner is perfectly cast for this role. He's kind of this hardened, matter-of-fact, almost cowboy-like wildlife tracker. And what I think Renner does so well, and I think he's done this well in the past, is he creates a character who has kind of this tough, strong exterior. He wants to be strong for his family and his friends and, you know, those investigating alongside him. And yet at times we see he's really unable to quite contain that emotion. And it, it comes out in very rarely, but it comes out in powerful moments. And you see a man who's kind of tough and hardened and you see him not break down, but really you see the, you know, his, his inside emotion. And, you know, it's understanding with what he's going through. He's investigating what turns out to be his, you know, one of his close friend's daughter's murder. And, you know, I won't give anything away, but it, it has, you know, that has some parallels to a family tragedy that he experienced not too long ago as well. So Elizabeth Olsen is your secondary character. I think she's a nice secondary character. She's kind of like the fish out of the water, a Vegas FBI agent, a rookie FBI agent at that assigned to this case. Shows up in like... Converse oh, all yeah. stars and oh yeah yeah she, they have to like outfit her in the proper gear because she's totally unprepared she can't even drive down the snow covered roads and the bond over the course of the film the bond she creates with Renner's character despite their obvious differences I thought that was a really nice strong point of the film especially at the end because they've come through a lot to get to where they're at. Uh, and one other thing I noticed, too, visually, is I think, I don't know if this was intentional by Sheridan, but I think it was. They have uh, one of the shots earlier on, wolves kind of surrounding a helpless calf and a preying on it and attacking it. And you can see the tracks in the snow. And it kind of parallels to some of these animals, if you will, preying on these helpless victims. In this case, helpless women. And you can see the tracks in the snow. And, and that kind of ties into a commentary with this film um, on police investigations on Indian reservations. There are jurisdictional just concerns and issues that make it so much harder. And this is just truth, you know, real life. It makes it so much harder to allocate resources for these investigations. And, you know, the end of the film makes a comment on just how many missing women cases there are open in on Indian reservations just because not only the resources aren't there and B, the landscape makes it almost impossible to investigate. So I thought it was a pretty interesting look at that. And I also thought it was an interesting parallel to Winter's Bone in that, you know, it's not just urban America, inner city crime where there's drug houses and struggles and poverty. This kind of gives you the other end of that, just like Winter's Bone. Very rustic, rural America, kind of out west America. And these are problems that we see everywhere. And you see them in, you know, you see them in Wind River. And, and I thought it was done really well. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Yep, I think I gave it an 8 as well. Uh, shot on location in Wyoming uh, and Utah. So out there in the, mm -hmm. in the west for sure. Um, this was actually my number uh, 10 movie from last year. Oh, wow. 2017. Um, I actually wrote a review, so I'll, I'm just going to read that. I, yeah. I think you said... Um, you know, most of, we kind of like the same things about it, but location, 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 set on the Wind River Indian Reservation in the frozen wilderness of Wyoming, the icy landscape of this film is a character in itself. Strong performances by Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen carry the drama. 
but as we follow them in this unforgetting world around them, we feel isolated, just as they are. The cinematography is beautiful and haunting at the same time. Uh, the places the murder mystery goes is both poignant and terrifying. Sheridan creates suspense through editing, camera placement, and music, and it really works. The film's message is one of strength and survival, but it also draws attention to tragedies often ignored by the outside world. This isn't a movie to watch, but it's one everyone should see. Um, I also noted that it had an outside shot at uh, nominations, but cinematography and production design are its strength, as well as Sheridan's script, which is yeah. something he's become known for uh, as a writer. It ultimately didn't win any of those, but a, a very well-received movie. I'm glad you got a chance to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, and you made a good point. It, it is it is brutal. It's kind of disturbing at certain scenes in particular um, that deal with, you know, violence against women. So that's hard to watch. But, you know, I mean, the, these films are made for a reason. They're made to oftentimes provide a commentary on the reality that these people face. And, uh, yeah, I liked it. So how about you? What was next up for you? Uh, so a movie that I'm going to talk about is one I went and saw in IMAX a couple weeks ago. And it's, it's the huge movie right now. Everyone's talking about mm -hmm. it. Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, this movie is directed by none other than uh, Christopher McQuarrie. This is his second turn uh, at the Mission Impossible franchise. He actually directed the last one as well, uh, which is unique to the franchise because uh, this is now, what, one, two, three, four, five, six... Six movies in? Uh, six. It's the six. Six movies yeah. in, and this is the first time we've had a repeat director, um, but there's been a lot of talent behind the camera in these Mission Impossible movies. Uh, Brian De Palma, John Woo, J.J. Abrams, Brad Bird. Uh, these are all directors that um, did the Sormer, uh, you know, the previous films. The plot summary from IMDb, Ethan Hunt and his IMF team, along with some familiar allies, race against time after a mission gone wrong. So, <laughs> yeah. You could pretty much put that as the plot summary for every Mission Impossible movie. Um, but this is a series I recently just came into. Uh, I saw this new movie was coming out, and I hadn't—I realized that I hadn't really seen any of the Mission Impossible movies, which is um, kind of was strange to me because this is a huge franchise. It's one of the biggest out there. It stars a megastar in Tom Cruise, um, and there's been great directors behind the camera um, that have each sort of brought their own strengths and weaknesses to the series. It's a series known for its incredible uh, pulse-pounding action sequences, um, and I, I feel like, honestly, this one took it to another level, and this is a franchise that is always used to taking things to another level. We all, Everyone hears the stories of how Tom Cruise is hanging out of airplanes and yeah. climbing buildings and doing all these crazy stunts to try and push the envelope in these films. And it really works in this movie. Uh, McQuarrie really has a talent for staging an action scene. He knows how to put you sort of in the middle of a chaotic sequence, but still make it digestible. You still know you know where all the important players and characters are within the scene and how that matters to what's going on within it. Uh, the movie has a lot of fun with sort of the hallmarks of the series, uh, which is Tom Cruise running. <laughs> He's yeah. famous for his running ability across rooftops, riding motorcycles, um, you know, impersonating people with masks is a big part of the Mission okay. Impossible series. You know, the iconic score comes in and oh, out. Yeah. Um, you know, it only shows up at sort of the, you know, the, the best moments and there's times when it sort of just hints and it doesn't give you the whole thing but then yeah. when you're going through this crazy action scene you know the blast on it's iconic. um i was on the edge of my seat the whole time 
I was so into the action. Uh, it took me a good three hours for my heartbeat to come down. Um, and I don't know if maybe it's because I saw it in IMAX. I would suggest seeing it on as big a screen as possible because it really puts you in the action. It's it's globe trotting. There's cool twists. There's compelling villains. You know, we go from Paris to London to Kashmir to all wow. over the place. Um, it's really everything an action movie should be. Um, and and I gave it a nine out of ten. I, I threw it up there. I slid it ahead of Won't You Be My Neighbor. The uh, Mr. Rogers documentary. Wow. So currently, and I'm shocked I'm saying this because I feel like the Mission Impossible series has been a little bit hit or miss at times, um, but it's my number one movie of 2018 so far. Wow. Okay, that's a big deal. And look, I've never seen a Mission Impossible movie. I'm ashamed to say it. I know you, you quite frankly, hadn't, right? Until this summer, you wanted to do some catching up. But I, I've been able to at least kind of see the the... You know, aside from the second, which I know is kind of considered the worst, it's terrible. It's ascended upward. And, you know, as a film, you know, reviewer, so to speak, I like to go in each movie, you know, with a fresh slate, not knowing how well it's done. But Rotten Tomatoes has made it impossible because you see the ads for Mission Impossible and it says 97% Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know, it's being well received. But here's my question for you. Um, What makes it better than the other five behind it? Well, I think the other ones, they've had different sort of things that were good about them, right? So, like, the third one, I was actually trying to pull up my, my, I ranked them all a while ago. I was actually looking to pull it up. But, so, like, some of them have a good story. They have a sort of cool twist at the end. They, it makes sense. It's a coherent story. Other ones, but they might have that, and then the villain's terrible. Yeah. Or other ones, they might have a good villain, but the story's kind of jumbled, and it's sort of hard to follow, and you don't really know, you know, it's this complex plot that is hard to follow. Yeah. The action, for the most part, is almost always good. Sure. With the exception of the second one. John Woo, uh, you know, he's a martial arts guy. Yeah. He did a lot of slow motion, you know. Matrix st- Yeah, style. Matrix style stuff. It was right around that time period, so. Yeah. I can see why I was trying to capitalize on that, but for a, a, a current audience, it doesn't really hold up very well. Yeah. I mean, the, for the most part, the action scenes are amazing, but this one really just... And like I said, maybe seeing it on IMAX altered my opinion a little bit, but I don't want to describe what the action is because I don't want to give it away, but there's a, some stunts that are just incredible. I mean, you, you can see it on the trailer. At one point, yeah. Tom Cruise is hanging off a helicopter on a rope as it's going through the mountains. I mean, there's a yeah. motorcycle foot chase through Paris that is just pulse-pounding and amazing. I just think what makes it better is that for the first time, we have a coherent story, a good set of villains, and the action sequences is always there. So, I, you know, it's compelling with Tom Cruise and the sort of dramatic angle and what he's going through as a person. You know, he's this guy who lives this crazy lifestyle yeah. and how that affects the people that are close to him they really deal with those issues and it it really just comes together really well and i think it's a really it's the best one in the series yet just for just throw it out there my my ranking would be fallout first rogue nation two mission impossible three three the original mission impossible fourth ghost protocol i'd put fifth okay. and mission impossible Two, a distant sixth uh avoid tom cruise and his flowing locks oh like boy. the plague a quick aside perhaps the leading film for the new controversial oscar category of best popular film oscar and they're cutting it down to three hours we could talk about that development uh you know we're gonna a... have to talk about it at some other point but since you brought it up uh yeah um Clearly, the Oscars. Yeah, clearly yeah. the Oscars is a, they're desperate to get a little bit more viewership and yeah. you know say hey normal film goers we'll uh, we'll totally we care about you too yeah. come on I, I put a joke up on our 
Facebook page that said they might as well call it the best achievement in being Marvel category. <laughs> but there will be plenty of those that qualify Black Panther to name one. I think Black Panther and Mission Impossible easily will be two of the nominees. Oh, yeah. Maybe Infinity War yeah. too, but we'll see. Um, anyways, what's uh, what what have you been watching your last one here? Well, I've, I've knocked down a couple films in a in a, a series that started. A little bit after the Mission Impossible series, and I don't know what prompted this. I, they were just free on my Comcast Xfinity. I just recently saw Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Twelve. Not seen Ocean's Thirteen just yet, and I've not seen the newest film, of course, Ocean's Eight, which is starring the all-female thieves. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about these films. Uh, the first two, at least, both were, were directed by Steven Soderbergh, and... I mean, you know, obviously the cast, it's a star-studded cast. You've got George Clooney, Bernie Mac, Brad Pitt, Mark Gant, Casey Affleck. I mean, I, I'm actually going to have to expand the list here on IMDb just to get to all of them. We'll do a whole pod on the, uh, on the Ocean's Eleven cast at yeah, some point. Andy Garcia. I mean, it's a, it's a Julia Roberts. Uh, who's the actress who comes in in the second one? Um, Catherine's uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge, huge star-studded cast. Um, and I guess the best way to describe this, and I won't go too in-depth with these films, I think they're good, not great kind of action heist films. They're slick, they're cool, they're stylish. The second one, they kind of are making fun of themselves as Julia Roberts plays a character who's disguised as Julia Roberts. There's fun little, like, nods to the fact that they're Hollywood stars. Um... And obviously, you know, a star-studded cast. So you've got a great collection of actors and actresses. I thought the traditional casino heist in the first film played a little bit better. Uh, I, I watched the second one, and I, I thought that it was a little convoluted, maybe a little too much going on. The story wasn't quite as simple and easy to follow. Um, you know, so I think I gave Ocean's 11 a 7 and Ocean's 12 a 6. They were worth my time because it's... It's a pretty well-known franchise with an amazing group of actors and actresses. Um, but yeah, good, not great for me. So how about you? Have you seen the series? I've seen all three. It's been a very long time. I remember liking Ocean's Eleven the best and Ocean's Thirteen second best. Dustin Hoffman shows up, so okay. that's kind of fun. Or maybe it's Al Pacino. Maybe it's both. I don't know. They're probably all in it. <laughs> Ocean's Twelve, I remember being a distant third, and I agree. They just tried to get too big. They did this sort of globe-trotting thing. Yep. The first one is super fun to watch, just Agreed. to see these talented actors play off each other, and they've all got this, especially between Clooney, Damon, and uh, Pitt. Those are your. They big have three. this sort of like. Uh, they just play off each other so well. You know, they're all these cocky guys. Brad Pitt's character's always eating, which is hilarious. <laughs> he's like always whole, got a sandwich. The whole sandwich. movie, he's always eating, which I think is just kind of a nice touch. Um, you know, Soderbergh, we talked about him with the Unsane with me, this sort of indie yeah, you're movie. Right. And I think that's a good example of how he does these huge blockbusters, and then he'll come back and do a weird movie about, you know, with Claire Foy and, you know, like maybe being in a mental institution. Yeah, um, but yeah entertaining movies, especially the second and third one. Um, definitely glad that you checked them out, though. Yeah. Because it's, they're, they're entertaining. You're right. And if nothing else, it's they're kind of fun. It's fun to see how they get away with what they get away with. I think that's the best part, as it unravels their plan and their plot to get away with it. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that kind of as my last but not least. 
Um, but yeah, how about you? What was your, your last one? I mean, this is another big release that just hit theaters. Yeah, uh, I actually just saw it on Tuesday night. Me and my fiance went and saw uh, Christopher Robin. That's a good fiance or wife or girlfriend film. Of course, of course. Yes, it is. I would recommend you uh, take your, your lovely wife to yeah. it. She'll probably love it. Um, but of course, this is a movie that is a, a sort of a rekindling, a reigniting uh a refurbishing of uh, the classic Winnie the Pooh stories. Uh, this is directed by Mark Forrester. Uh, the plot summary on IMDb, a working-class family man, Christopher Robin, encounters his childhood friend Winnie the Pooh, who helps him rediscover the joys of life. So, you can tell oh. by that plot summary, this is the late, that it's, uh, you know, a little cute cutesy movie. Um, this is the latest in the live-action Disney remakes. There's about 12 of them planned. Uh, so far, I've had mixed feelings about this whole idea to remake the classic Disney films. You know, uh, they did The Jungle Book, which I thought was incredible a couple years ago. Uh, Beauty and the Beast came out last year, which I thought was solid, but was basically just a straight remake. They've got Dumbo coming out next year, directed yep. by Tim Burton. I've seen trailers oh, of that. Looks pretty Tim cool. Tim Burton, that'll be interesting. Uh, They've got, what, Mulan? Mulan, the Lion King, Aladdin. They're all coming out. So this yeah. is a whole thing that Disney's doing now. They're basically recycling uh, the classic cartoons and yep. turning them into live action. Uh, this one, I would say, is exactly what I thought it would be. Obviously, mm -hmm. with Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, and Tigger 2, uh, they're adorable characters. They're 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 lovable. Uh, you know, kids of our generation and even a couple generations have grown up with these characters. They're cute. They have their little unsmart sayings and one-liners. You know, Pooh, I always found to get to where you're going is to go in the other direction. Uh, or the best things uh, always come out of nothing. You know, he's got his little quips. Oh, yeah, you're you trying know. to do his voice. Oh, no, I wasn't it's, trying very hard. I wasn't but, trying But hard. isn't his voice so distinguishable? It's I mean, adorable. It is. It's adorable. It is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so cute. And that's this movie is cute. It, it really is. It's um, How can you not love that? You know, it'll make you feel like a kid again. It'll bring back wonderful memories. It's, it's a perfect movie, a feel-good movie to go see with families that should go and watch, and they should enjoy it together because it hits you right in the feels. Yeah. It really does. Um, that being said, if I put on my critic hat, um, I was hoping for a little bit more. Um, you know, it's essentially exactly what I thought it would be, like I said. It's, it's, remember that movie Hook? That came out a long time ago with Robin Williams, and he's like a grown-up Peter Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, and he's like a grown-up Peter Pan yep. or whatever. It felt like that. This felt hookified because, okay. you know, you've got, you take the classic tale and try and put a new spin on it. You know, Christopher Robin, who obviously used to hang out in the Hundred Acre Wood, is a workaholic dad who's lost touch with his childhood dreams and innocent take on the world. And he's reminded of what matters most through his friends from the Hundred Acre Wood. <laughs> and it's it's an adorable idea and an adorable thing, but it's exactly what I thought it would be. If you watch the trailer, you watch the movie, you know? Okay. So... He's learning life lessons right, from his through old his friends. old friends. They have to remind him of what matters in life, um, you know. And it's adorable. It's well done. It's cute. The 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 Winnie the Pooh theme, the hundred oh, yeah. comes in in subtly oh, yeah. moments. And there's a storybook motif to it. There's direct direct references. Um, you know, seeing Pooh and Tigger and Eeyore in the real world and mixing with real life characters is is cute um because we all grew up with them um it's a good movie it's worth watching um but ultimately i just wish it did a little bit more um but it's worth watching it's disney so i, I gave it a seven out of ten okay um so growing up i was a huge fan of the new adventures of winnie the pooh you know the uh 
Uh, I can't even do the theme, the theme song justice, but you would you would recognize it immediately as as soon as you heard it. Um, yeah, I guess. Look, I wonder. I wonder with it. You know, Disney does so well to have these kind of childlike films that you know blend adult jokes and humor with something that kids will enjoy too. I'm gathering it didn't quite hit like some of the other like Toy Story or Up or some of those th films where like, you know, uh, adults know it's for kids and for families, but it, it resonates with adults as well. No, they really didn't go for that as much. Okay. I mean, there's probably a couple of them in there, but this really is a movie. I mean, Winnie the Pooh, they're for young kids, you know, sure, you're right. they're just adorable little creatures. So they're, they know they didn't dabble with that. I don't think they wanted to tarnish, you know, Pooh or Tigger or Piglet or Eeyore or any of these characters that are just so innocent. You know, I don't think they wanted to tarnish them by giving them a, 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 a undercover sex joke or something, you know, because they're just so innocent. You know, yeah. they, they don't know. They're stupid. They're adorable. So, no, they don't really go for that. It, this really is kind of a, a family film geared towards the kids. But it, it was effective. I mean, there was people in our theater who were crying. You know, it's 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 sad at times. It definitely is. They get you right in the feels sometimes. You know, sure. this is a movie about Christopher Robin forgetting his childhood and leaving his friends behind. So, you know, there's some, some sad moments. But, you know, ultimately you kind of know where the story is going to go. Pretty predictable, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously, my wife, if I tell her, hey, Disney movie, she's all about it. She loves Disney, right? And, and we all do. Your wife um, will love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> She'll think it's just adorable. <laughs> did, did Carolyn love she it? She did. She okay. was crying half the movie. Um, but while we're just on the quick Disney note, I also watched Wrinkle in Time, which also came out oh, earlier this year, not too long ago. Yeah. It was dreadful. I'm not even going to give it the dignity to talk about it, but I gave it a three out of ten. Do not watch that movie. Okay. We'll end it on that note. Uh, I guess before we let everybody go, uh, we do want to connect with people. You you went over it earlier in the show, but one thing that we always say, because this can really help us, is if you could go to Facebook, go to our page, and then invite all of your friends to like our page, right? I mean, that's a pretty basic way for us to grow our audience. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, to gain followers. There's a lot of traction out there. There's a lot of things on the internet. Yeah. There's a lot of pages, a lot of videos, a lot of junk, a lot of fake news, a lot of real news. Um, so, you know, just give our page a like. That's how we randomly yeah. post stuff up there. I mentioned the Oscars article. We put trailers. We put funny little stuff up there. Um, and also give us a rating, a, a star rating. That helps sort of make us more viable and, and yeah. uh, findable on the yeah. algorithm. Same thing on iTunes. Uh, you really need to get ratings for us to pop up when you're searching on iTunes. If people go under the film and TV category, um, you know, that's where they find things. It's where, you know, they're not going to, it's like Sam said a couple weeks ago, when you do a Google search, you don't go to page three, you click on the first three there. And that's really what we need is ratings to sort of move ourselves up within the algorithm. Although Celebration Cinema, I mentioned we hit celebrity status. Yeah. We buried the lead. We buried the lead. We hit celebrity status, which means, uh, I don't know what, we do have a free ticket on there. Popcorn comes quicker. I don't know. But Celebration Cinema did acknowledge us yeah. uh, when we got ourselves. So step in the right direction. But ultimately... We're, we're happy to have anyone here who's listening to us. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're a small pod. Who's, we're doing this for fun, and we yeah. appreciate everyone who, who takes the time to listen to us. But we would love more interaction. We sure. would love more people to reach out. Um, so check us out on social media, Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, Twitter, whatever it is. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week with our hit review of Crazy Rich Asians. We'll see you at the movies.